welcome to Bedside Matters. If you're sick of being sick, well, this is the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact all of us every single day and will hopefully give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper. Hi, David. Hi, Peter. Hi, Anna. Hello. And Anna Ficino. How are you doing, Anna? Doing wonderfully well. Thanks for having me. On today's episode, we're going to discuss whether doctors should routinely screen patients for anxiety. Also, we're going to explore why Bill Gates refers to mosquitoes as the world's deadliest animals. In our This Just Happened segment, Dr. Kipper is going to tell us about a brand new FDA-approved psoriasis pill. And in our Hey, What About Me segment, we're going to take some questions from you. And of course, if you have a question for our Hey, What About Me segment, all you have to do is reach out to us at bedsidematters.org, write us or leave us a message. And of course, Dr. Kipper just might answer your question. So let's dive in, David, right off the bat with anxiety. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which is advisors, it's a group of advisors of medical experts, they're now recommending the doctors, and I'm guessing GPs, should do anxiety screenings. What, what does that involve? What does that look like, and what do you ask? These are 30-question uh, tests or questionnaires that people get. They're rather generic. But I, I have a big problem with this because I think what we're really asking doctors and healthcare professionals to do is to screen for a symptom and not address the problem because the symptom is anxiety. And what we're not doing is we're not looking at the mental health issues that provoke the anxiety. And there are two types of anxiety. There's an intrinsic anxiety. That's something you're born with. That's a congenital, inheritable anxiety. And then there are the extrinsic or the external anxiety issues, and that's stress. So you name it whether it's COVID, whether it's aging, whether it's being invited to the prom, whatever it is, there are two types of anxiety. So you can't just have a generic screening 30-question test for anxiety. Wait, so you can inherit anxiety? We do inherit anxiety. Yes. There are two types of brain chemicals that direct our behavior. And one is serotonin, one is dopamine. If you have a deficiency in serotonin, we all have a deficiency in one of these, you have a higher likelihood of being anxious and being depressed. And those are genetically inherited transmitter issues. Well, David, also, I'm curious, when somebody comes to you that you've seen regularly, and now because of COVID, there's anxiety, whatever, how does that manifest different than depression? And don't you explore that anyway in a patient that you've seen that you know? Yes, but simply stated, anxiety is when someone's worrying and depression is more of a sadness. And they each have their own set of specific symptoms. And they often go together. So if someone is chronically anxious, they are likely to be depressed. Someone that is situationally depressed is likely to be anxious. So they do travel together. And what are you looking for? Are you looking for a lack of sleep, lack of concentration? I mean, what are some of the signs? You're looking for lack of function. So if someone comes to you and they're not functioning normally, the things that you just mentioned are likely going on, Peter. They're probably not sleeping because they're staying up worrying and they can't fall asleep. They're not exercising. They're not eating well. Uh, People on the serotonin side will eat because they're depressed and anxious. So you look for signs that relate to their natural functioning. Well, I once had a doctor tell me that I had too much anxiety and I was like, 
define that because I'll be honest with you, if I didn't have anxiety, I wouldn't get out of the bed and get my daughter to school and get to work and do all the things. I kind of like embraced my anxiety because or else I would do like my mother did and sit and stare at the wall for days at a time. I mean, she's passed now, but she really struggled. She was manic depressive and she really struggled with the depressive bipolar side of things. So you've learned to use your anxiety in a productive way. So to take those anxious feelings and convert them into action. That's a healthy response to your anxiety. Oh, oh, thank you. Nobody's ever told me that before. I'll tell my husband. <laughs> and David, let me ask you this, because this brings up an, an episode I had years ago. I'm a warrior. I mean, that's my natural behavior. It's generations of Tildens have been warriors, okay? We're magna cum laude as far as warriors. But one one time I thought I was going to get fired and I was doing OCD stuff. We're in bed at night. I would be doing math about money and it never happened to me before. It passed. Somebody gave me great advice that said, you're firing yourself every single night and it feels real. When it happens, it may be bad, but you'll figure it out. But you're doing it and it feels real every single night. It was the only time I had that experience where it felt like a little out of control. Never happened again. But is OCD part of this thing? Absolutely. And OCD is another issue with serotonin imbalances. But Peter, what you described is your inherited anxiety disorder. It runs up your family tree. What makes these things come to the forefront is a very big, stressful issue. Right. So that's why we saw a 25%-ish rise in anxiety during COVID. You put yourself in any stressful situation and your anxiety that might have been under the radar pops out. And I'm curious, David, when this happens now, is there a quick fix? Is it because who's going to talk therapy anymore? Is this medication where you you advise or you send to a, a shrink trying to determine how to help? The quick fix is to learn how to control these feelings and not recognize them with fear, but to recognize them much what Anna described as a call to action. So there are things you can do. People that panic, as an example, can breathe into a paper bag. And what they're doing is they're rebreathing their carbon dioxide. You breathe in oxygen, you breathe out carbon dioxide. Remember the opposite of the plants. When you when you're hyperventilating and you're blowing out too much carbon dioxide, your anxiety levels go way up, your cortisol levels go way up. So if you rebreathe into a paper bag for about two minutes, you feel better. There are mindfulness exercises. There are cognitive behavioral therapy exercises that people can get for free on the internet that will teach them how to approach these things that they know are going to create some anxiety. So yes, the slower fix are the medications right. because the medications are these SSRI medicines that give you back serotonin. The problem with these is that they can take six to eight weeks before they start to show up. So you have to white knuckle it for a little bit, but they also work very well in most people. All right. There's a news article that came out this week. Bill Gates made a statement about malaria and he basically did it by taking a physical action of releasing a swarm of mosquitoes to create malaria awareness. I know malaria is a very deadly disease. It still is. What in, in, is it mostly third world countries or is it all, all the world's countries? It's now everywhere. It's, it's most, everywhere. it's most common in Africa. But you're also with mosquitoes. I mean, the reason he did it too was there's, there's malaria and there's dengue and there's also yellow fever and there's also what's the zika zika and west nile i mean this sucker this sucker transports a lot of stuff and kills a lot of people 
why evolutionarily speaking, and I know, Doc, you don't necessarily know the answer, but why do mosquitoes exist if they are purely of the devil? They, what do they do? What purpose do they serve? You can't answer it because they serve no purpose. <laughs> so it's very interesting how he did this. He genetically engineered these mosquitoes by inserting a naturally occurring bacteria called Wolbachia. And Wolbachia is safe for humans, doesn't affect animals, it's good for the environment. And what the Wolbachia is capable of doing, it, it's capable of interfering with the mosquito's ability to get and pass on infections into humans. And it does this by injecting this bacteria into the males. When the males mate, they pass this bacteria onto the females. The females that are produced have a shortened lifespan, which diminishes the population of mosquitoes. And also, it reduces their ability to carry these other viruses. So, by the way, Anna, the purpose that mosquitoes serve, uh-huh. aside from being food for fish and uh, as, okay. as larvae and for birds and stuff like that, they're also pollinators. How about that? You didn't know that. I didn't want a positive spin on the whole mosquito thing, I'll be honest with you. I'm not the guy who puts the positive spin on this because I hate them. Because And David, explain this because there's a myth about your blood tastes sweeter and you can kill them with garlic. If I go outside and I'm with David and you, you will have no bites, and I will have bites the size of silver dollars. I will David. have all the bites. Oh, really? You get it? And too? I eat, also eat all the garlic, so that doesn't work. Yeah, David. Why do they pick certain people? What's what's the deal with that? They actually. This is the first time that eating for your blood type actually makes some sense. They actually like type O and type B blood. They okay. like sweet smelling odors. People that are uh, diabetic, people that have a little too much sugar in their system, they are attracted to sweat because of the ammonia that's in the sweat. They like certain colors. They like orange and red colors. They don't particularly like the darker colors. They like a warm environment. They live in big cities. So they actually have- Wait a minute, wait a minute. They like, they go, wait a minute, don't stop here. Let's they make it to, to New York. We're going to New York. We're going to New York. They have martinis. <laughs> they read the New Republic or whatever the magazines are. Hey, honey, we're going to the big city. <laughs> don't stop here. They have That's, salons where they share intellectual ideas with their friends. And right, now we're being silly. You want to know a smart thing about mosquitoes? Sure. You know how they know where to land on your skin? They have. Me, wait, 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 wait. Don't give okay, me I'm just getting freaked out at this point, but no. Let's have Anna guess. How do they know where to land on your skin, Anna? I'm going to guess you guess. Go ahead. Because your skin is showing? They know where to land on your skin because I have no idea. Go ahead. They have sensors in their back legs that can find the blood vessels gross. in your skin. That's Son gross. of a gun. Yeah. Son of a gun. So they've evolved to that point. Wow. And then now, Anna, the good news is now with warming, with the climate being hot, they thrive. So it used to be they went away in certain seasons. Now, not so much because it's warm. They're loving it in the big city. And Bill Gates was right. They kill more humans than any other animal on the planet. Wow. I feel like that is that outweighs their whole pollinator, <laughs> like f- front man shtick they're doing. All right. They're killing all right. people. All right. So they shouldn't exist based on Anna. So do yeah, we feel, let's make do that we, extinct. Do we feel better about Bill Gates? I do. Oh, I do. Bill Gates, Bill Gates. You I know? was never really mad at Bill Gates. 
I'm, I'm maybe and I'm an outlier here, but I'm not mad at Bill Gates. I did he inject a data chip in me? I don't care. I already have an iPhone. They know what I'm doing. Right. I don't think he had to to do the chip. And by the way, as long as my Microsoft office is working every month, I go, thank you, Bill Gates. You know what I mean? And he's going to give away most of his money and he's spending money to kill mosquitoes and not one at a time. So I salute you at the moment, Bill Gates, and I'm sure we'll get mail pushback. Yeah, we're going to get some cards and letters about this Bill Gates, yeah, and it may be from his ex-wife. Hi, my name is TJ, and I host a daily radio show. I have a bunch of friends that join me for it every day, and believe it or not, we all still see hope in humanity. Are you one of these people, too? We want to hang out with you. Just search for The TJ Show on your favorite podcasting platform or join us at thetjshow.com. We would love to have you being hopeful about humanity with us. Here's a quick sample of what the show sounds like. Hey, welcome to The TJ As you can tell, you need to hear more of it. Search for The TJ Show, and we can't wait to meet you. Um, moving on, psoriasis affects, let me see, 100 million individuals worldwide in America, almost 8 million, and they have a new drug, which they're saying is very, very effective. And Anna, I know that you you wanted to say something about psoriasis. Well, psoriasis is one of the symptoms of celiac disease, because celiac disease I know is hard to diagnose, so it has this crazy list of different symptoms that ma- it might manifest in different ways for people. But so it just makes me wonder with psoriasis, like, because I know you're going to talk about this drug. Is psoriasis a thing on its own? Is it a symptom of some, always a symptom of something else? Like, what is it? Hmm. You're asking a really good question, Anna, Thank and you. it does have some reference to celiac disease. The The new product is called Sotyc2, and it is a monoclonal antibody that is targeted against certain cytokine receptors. They've identified three specific receptors that it attacks, 12, 17, and 24, if you're playing lotto. Oh. And <laughs> what it does is that it invalidates these receptors. There's a chain of events that happens with these cytokines, these inflammatory receptors. We all know cytokines from COVID. These are the bad guys that inflame our tissues. This particular medication knocks out the protein in that pathway that creates these cytokines. So now you're not getting the cytokines. So you're knocking out the inflammation. And getting back to your intelligence, Anna, for just a second, you talked about celiac disease. It's an intestinal disease. We're now looking at using this drug for things like not only psoriatic arthritis and lupus, but we're looking at it for inflammatory bowel diseases. And celiac is in that neighborhood. It sure is. And in the, fact, they, they tell celiacs, make sure if you get diagnosed and make sure you really cut that gluten out because a couple of the things, lupus is one of the things that they say and uh, can be another, like a co-autoimmune disease that can happen if you have celiac and you don't manage it. Just saying. There's a beauty in the beast to this new medication. The beauty of it is it's oral. And up until now, we've only had injectables. And the injectables carry side effects, heart side effects, metabolic side effects. The orals don't seem to carry any side effects. And can you guys guess the beast in this new medication? Beast in this new medication Mm. pill, it is, I have no idea. Take a guess at what it costs a year. Oh, boy. To take this A bajillion medication. trillion dollars. That's very close. Wow, Peter. David, no. Or if you two, had said- Two kajillion billion dollars, wow. <laughs> well, it might as well be. It's 75000 a year. Oh, about boy. About $200 a pill. What might 
happen? Is it because it's so expensive and this drug company put a lot of money into making this drug? They're probably going to come out with some insurance benefits, some uh, reduction savings cards to get this medicine. So they're going to have to figure that out or this is going to sit on a shelf. 75, that's, that's insane. That is insane, I guess. But the cost of development, the thing that drives me nuts with cost of development on so many drugs is that we've paid for them anyway because they're, they're developed in colleges that we fund, et cetera, and yet the drug comes out and then they kill, they kill us with the, the drug, like epinephrine. But EpiPen is a fortune, and that thing's 100 years old, and it's a, it costs a dollar. Why is and every, it so expensive? Every time they change the um, way it's administered, if they change the injector a little oh. bit, they're allowed to raise the price, right, David? That's it's also tricky. It's also life-saving. That's why it's so expensive. Remember, this came up about four or five years ago yep. when they they had to look at this nationally and they brought the price down, I don't know, 200%. Well, because people went crazy and schools have to have them by law. So every school had to have two EpiPens and they only last a certain amount of time. And it's, it's a, it was a fortune. And epinephrine costs a dollar. Um, let's get to, hey, what about me? We have a caller today, a listener named Ellie. Ellie, what's your question? Hi, Dr. Kipper. I wanted to ask, what are the symptoms of an ovarian cyst? Because I am experiencing a bit of pain. And if I do have a cyst, what's the treatment? So first, Ellie, you're going to need to do some diagnostics to make sure that you have the cyst. And just for people listening uh, that aren't clear on what an ovarian cyst is, it's a fluid-filled sac that sits on or inside the ovary. And they tend to happen around the mid-cycle and a, around uh, menstruation. And they create a space-occupying problem. So as they get bigger, they create pain. They can twist the ovary, which can be even more pain. And they're easily diagnosed with an ultrasound. So that's what you need to know. And also, if you have pain, Ellie, that's around your menstrual cycle, either when you're having your bleeding or when you're ovulating, that's a really good indication that you might have a cyst. It will also happen on the same side of your pelvis, so that's another clue. If you have underlying issues, if people are on fertility drugs or they have endometriosis, those people are, are more susceptible. Pregnant women are more susceptible. So first, get it diagnosed. If it's diagnosed and you have the cyst, the way you treat these you either watch them if they're small enough, but if they're complicating your life with pain, they can be taken out very simply. They can break open, and when they break open, they're putting that fluid and some bleeding into the pelvic area, and that hurts, and that pain will last about 24 hours, but it's a big pain, and be prepared to be worked up for appendicitis and all other kinds of things. So, David, to that point, there was a big news story that happened this week around that where Kelly Ripa, I guess she's got a book out, and she's talking about Regis, she's talking about stuff, but she's talking about having uh, sex with her husband, Mark Consuelos, and that she blacked out and woke up in the emergency room, and it was because she had a cyst, an ovarian cyst that burst. And to your point, the pain is so bad that, that she was out. Wow. Is that he, dangerous? He, once- he thought he really, he was like, wow, I did. <laughs> I killed her. I <laughs> Either with I did something amazing or I did something terrible, but this is crazy. So before we, there is a, a funny component to this, and I got to get Anna's take on this and maybe producer Laurie, because you read the story and you hear, okay, she had the pain and she passed out and she woke up in the emergency room, but she says she woke up in the emergency room dressed 
in a 1980 style French cut leotard with a pair of red Manolo Blahnik shoes that made her look like a dime store prostitute. And she said, I can't believe he picked that outfit. What, were they doing role play and she was wearing that outfit beforehand? Or? Yeah. So my question is this. If you're my wife, Anna, and you pass out, I'm calling 911. I'm not dressing you. They can put a blanket. Up. Who's dressing? She's dead. She's like a rag doll. Well, maybe because she's a celebrity, he doesn't want her to appear vulnerable in a. So he decides to put to her in a leotard and pumps. To an I, ambulance I feel crew? like this is this is a note for all people out there to have a chat with your significant other about what you would like to be dressed in, so you do not show up <laughs> in just like the first. Thing. You know, you've seen. We've all seen fathers dress the daughters when the mom's not there to do it. So wait, wait, David, can I have a medic alert bracelet that says do not revive? And if if I do pass out and blackout and I can be revived, it's the corduroy pants with the slimming top. I mean, is that what we're yes. doing now? Yes. By the way, how how do we know that she passed out before they had sex? It might have been so exciting in that room based on her outfit that that was enough. Look at the questions that we do here. You're not going to hear this kind of this kind of peeling back the onion or the leotard on any other show. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to throw out another quiz to the two of you. And Lori, jump in if you wish. Can you give me any other reasons that people pass out during an orgasm? You pass out from pure excitement just because you can't believe you're having sex. Does that reveal anything about me? A absolutely, Peter. People get excited. They hyperventilate when they hyperventilate. There you as go. we discussed earlier, you blow off CO2 over oxygen and you pass out your brain needs the oxygen so you pass out so that is actually a good answer wow you also can pass out if you're hungry and you're hypoglycemic because as you're getting excited and you're putting out cortisol and your sugars are low you can faint if you're thirsty and dehydrated it can be the same thing so there are a couple other reasons besides an More outfit. I'm sorry, I would not have sex before I had a meal. I would have if I was that hungry, where I was at risk of passing out. I would definitely choose food over sex. <laughs> and that tells us something and, else about you. By the way, one last thing. I just remember. I think it was Robert Schimmel, the comedian, who said that he had a horrible heart attack, and the doctor said to him, "You know what? You can resume sex now, but if you feel pain, I would stop." And he said. No, Doc, I'm going to try and race the race the heart attack, finish the sex yeah. before I have. The, of course, I know to stop. What, are you what kind of advice are you giving? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I want to thank everybody. Thank you, Anna, and thank you, Dr. Kipper, for your help and for your answers and guidance. Thank you for listening. And by the way, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you can follow us at bedsidematters.org. If you have a medical question, of course, you need answered, go to bedsidematters.org, the same place, send it to us, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you. If you have a question for Dr. Kipper, you can go to our website, bedsidematters.org, and leave a voicemail or submit a question. The information on Bedside Matters and the resources available for download are not intended as and should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.